The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome to this Wednesday edition of Scorebox with a young dynamic team, or is it me and Jeff? Anyway, these are your headlines. Highs on Wall Street, but deadlock in Washington. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell rejects a bipartisan stimulus plan as Treasury Secretary nominee Janet Yellen says inaction will cause devastation. So many people struggling to put food on the table and pay bills and rent. It's an American tragedy. How about this one? The U.S. Attorney General, William Barr, now says the Justice Department finds no evidence of voter fraud that could overturn the election. Now, that apparently has dealt a blow to President Trump, who continues to challenge the result. Focusing on the corporate news flow for a moment, ARM CEO Simon Seegers tells CNBC he is confident that the chipmaker can overcome internal divisions, allowing NVIDIA to complete its $40 billion takeover of the chip business. I wouldn't call it a roadblock. It's something that we have to uh, work through. We knew that going into this deal. Uh, we've been in the process of changing the management in our China JV since, uh, since about June time. And no slacking off for Salesforce, the cloud software company buys workplace chat app Slack for almost $28 billion. It's its biggest deal ever. Slack changes everything and makes Salesforce a whole new type of company, a company that is truly architected to work from anywhere. Oh, happy Wednesday, everybody. Uh, Jeff and I often feel we're living in a parallel universe between the reality and what the markets are doing. But we do seem to be living in a parallel universe actually in Washington at the moment because you've got one government over here, the outgoing one, and then you've got another administration over here. So we're we're, we're looking over here to see what the Trump administration is doing and the government there. And we're looking at what the the potential government is going to do over here. So it's, it's moderately confusing as ever, isn't it? No? Okay, you just used to this every four years, are you? Okay, the president-elect Joe Biden does not plan to remove President Trump's phase one trade deal with China immediately. In an interview with the New York Times, published uh, just a very short while ago, he said he will maintain the 25% tariffs on around half of China's exports for the time being. Mr. Biden instead said his top priority is getting a, quote, generous stimulus package through Congress. Well, a bipartisan group of lawmakers has unveiled a $908 billion COVID-19 relief bill. That's in an effort to break months of stalemate amid a surge in virus cases across the United States. The proposal contains money for unemployment benefits, state and local governments, as well as paycheck protection program. The proposal does not include Uh, another direct payment to Americans. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has rejected the proposal, instead pushing for a targeted relief bill. McConnell says that the spending bill and pandemic relief provisions will, quote, likely come in one package, adding he's been speaking to the Trump administration about a separate coronavirus bill that President Trump will sign. We just don't have time to waste time. We have a couple of weeks left here. Obviously, it does require bipartisan support to get out of the Congress, but it requires a presidential signature. 
Well, interesting. We have a meeting of minds as well between the U.S. Treasury Secretary outgoing and the current head of the Federal Reserve, Jay Powell. Uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and Fed Chair Powell have urged Congress to pass more funds to keep small businesses from failing. Speaking before the Senate Banking Committee, Powell called for more support while the vaccine is being rolled out. Some of these businesses, what they need is is you know, is fiscal policy, is, is a grant to get them through this last bit of, of, uh, of the pandemic rather than, um, you know, rather than borrowing more through a Federal Reserve facility. Meanwhile, the Treasury Secretary called on lawmakers to give as much as $300 billion in grants to struggling businesses, urging Congress to act fast. I think, fortunately, the CARES Act has worked and the numbers are better than they were two months ago. But I'd urge Congress to pass something quickly to make sure we get something done uh, in, in this session. And that was a message uh, effectively uh, bolstered by Janet Yellen. Steve making the point about these two parallel universes at the moment. Well, of course, Janet Yellen uh, will be incoming as U.S. Treasury Secretary, effectively uh, repeating the same kind of urge for speed that we saw from Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. Let's hear from Janet Yellen. The pandemic and economic fallout fit together have caused so much damage for so many and have had a disproportionate impact on the most vulnerable among us. Lost lives, lost jobs, small businesses struggling to stay alive or closed for good. So many people struggling to put food on the table and pay bills and rent. It's an American tragedy. And it's essential that we move with urgency. Inaction will produce a self-reinforcing downturn, causing yet more devastation. Um, just looking at uh, a statement out from Roche to say, today, which uh, says it receives FDA emergency use authorization for new tests to measure the level of SARS-CoV-2 or COV-2 antibodies as well. The spike protein is the target. Uh, target of many COVID-19 vaccines in development. The test may help identify recovering patients who could potentially be serum and plasma donors for developing treatments for COVID-19. Jeff, I'm going to bring you in on this one as well, because the shares year to date are down 4.6% as well. And, and I think I remember the UK Prime Minister early on in this whole process talking about how antibody tests could be a game changer for COVID-19 as well. Well, the market's been underwhelmed. The shares in Rocha were trading near their lows of the year, down 4.6%. We haven't all had antibody tests, which have allowed us to go out and do our business to see whether we've had um, the COVID-19 or not, because there were questions about uh, how many people uh, could have these tests, how long the antibodies would last, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so whilst I think it's very interesting that there is another uh, FDA-approved uh, authorization to measure these antibody tests, there has been no big widespread rollout and treatments and vaccinations seem to have come to the fore as well. Once upon a time, antibody tests were seen as game changer. Now it's just a useful add-on, I would suggest. 
I, I don't know. I, I do think they are critical to the process going forward. So, so there are a couple of things. Let me just um, raise these. One, I think the antibody testing has been um, pushed less, perhaps, uh, if I might cynically suggest, because the current testing that we have is quite expensive. And if you pay for it as an individual, uh, I believe here in the UK, it's £100 at least, uh, which equates to a rather large bill if you choose to test regularly. But the, 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 the point where I think it is important rolling forward is where it comes to broader herd immunity and the way this virus appears to be acting. And of course, we've talked a lot about so-called super spreaders, people that could be asymptomatic, but seem to do a tremendous job of passing on the infection to other people. And Really, those are the people that you want to find through this form of testing to find out whether they do have um, uh, some evidence of the disease, but they have expressed no symptoms and they appear to be unaffected, but they are able to communicate the disease to others. And, uh, and you and I both know uh, situations um, that we've talked about in the office where you've got a couple, one person has it or has had it, but the other party has not had it, and yet they've been in very close proximity. So there are some peculiarities about the way this COVID disease seems to spread, the way that some individuals in particular seem to be super spreaders. And the only way you're going to kind of nail those people once we get into a whole a whole kind of vaccination program is to do a little bit more anti -te antibody testing, it seems to me. Uh, and one other thing that's kind of encouraging is that the scientists I know have leapt on some of these reports uh, around, oh, you know, the antibodies come out of the body very quickly, so you, that doesn't mean that you have long-term protection. And a lot of them have said, you know what, this is just the way it works with some viruses, but you still have the ability within your B cells and your T cells to um, uh, uh, develop uh, resistance if you should be attacked by the virus. So the evidence itself of the antibody still within the bloodstream may not be evidence yeah. itself of the fact that you are able to protect yourself. Sorry, there was a lot wrapped into that, Steve, but I just wanted to make the points. I, I didn't think you'd have anything to say, my friend. <laughs> no, but but, but I, I really, I, I hear you. And, and everything you just said makes sense as well. And we, as you say, a very famous friend of ours, uh, he had the same test as his wife uh, and she had the antibodies and he didn't yet. They had exactly the same symptoms from exactly the same illness at the same part of the year as well. So it seems inconceivable that he didn't have COVID-19 as well. But, but, but you're absolutely right the private testing regime has been very expensive between you know 70 and 120 pounds as well people aren't going to go out and do that when there's plenty of other things that they need to spend their money on at the moment but there doesn't seem to be any appetite from a government point of view certainly from a uk government they kind of got very excited about the idea of antibodies uh, and then it quietly got less left alone as well and i just don't know if the money's out there for uh, a testing regime which includes antibody tests over here uh, other tests over here uh, for covid19 and then a vaccination test over here i just don't see the will or the appetite from the, the government establishment and if they're looking at well we need to test and trace we need to have the treatments and we need to have the vaccination as well where is the money coming from from these widespread antibody tests as well uh, and i know other stories about people who've got antibodies as well including dare i say a very close family member of mine who we all we didn't mock but he said oh, i've definitely had this and i was like well i don't think you have and then of course he's had the antibody test and he has got the antibodies but no one from an official point of view said can we borrow your antibodies can we use your your plasma or what have you.
have you to build antibody tests for other people or build treatments for other people as well. There just doesn't seem to be the appetite out there as well. And one more fact, I'll give you an anecdote. A very close friend of mine locally works for the NHS, and that man is a magnificent individual going to work every day, doing a great job as well. He had his first virus test paid for by the NHS, inaugurated by the NHS last week. Now, our company, to their credit, is testing you and I and all of us and Karen on a very regular basis. So we've had loads of anti uh, uh, virus tests between us. And thankfully, so far, we've all been negative as well. But when the NHS has got one of its key staff, and this man is a key member of staff, the, uh, the health trust that I live in, uh, in East Sussex, and he's only had one test and it was last week. What does that say about the ability of the NHS to test its people on a regular basis on antibody plus the other COVID-19 tests? I, I think it looks rather feeble from a, an official point of view, Jeff. Well, you know, I have other stories that suggest that it, it may be down to his area um, and his particular um, we've all got into well, tier I, two I, in I've our area friends, i've got i've got friends who are doctors who are being tested twice a week at the moment so well, that seems to be fairly comprehensive but but obviously you know this is all anecdotal and maybe doesn't reflect uh, the nationwide picture I think it does reflect the nationwide picture. I think that's exactly the point. You've got doctor friends who are being tested twice weekly. I've got medical health service professional friends who are being tested barely at all as well. I think that does sum up the national picture, Jeff. I think it sums it up very well. Um, brilliant. Well, look, good. I'm, I'm glad we could have a little conversation on that. I, I never doubted it, quite frankly. Um, it probably meant we've eaten up conversation elsewhere. But um, let's have a quick look at the markets. Dow up six tenths of one percent yesterday. Uh, record levels for the Nasdaq and the S and P. Do you know what record level it was? The S and P is now at its twenty seventh year to date high as well. Uh, the Nasdaq its forty sixth year to date high as well. Year to date S and P uh, up. 13.4% as well. NASDAQ up 38% as well. So big moves to the upside still continuing um, on these US indices. Let's have a quick look at the treasuries and see where we're trading. Uh, interesting. Uh, a little bit of a bullion's taking the yield up to 0.92. Uh, very interesting as the 10-year picks up. We'll start having a look at various levels in, in, in the corporate credit world as well and see if there's any tensions there coming through, of course, because fascinating stories coming through about tensions on... Um, state enterprises, state-owned enterprises and others in China as well, uh, and how the Chinese rating agencies are refusing to mark a lot of companies down be below AA because, of course, that has investment implications as well, despite the fact that there appears to be a lot of tension in that area as well. Talking of uh, China, let's have a look at some of the, the key markets and the Shanghai Composite, just giving back a little bit of ground there, as indeed is the Hang Seng, the ASX 200, barely, a, uh, in fact, flat on two markets, down on two others as well. Opening calls for European indices. Funny old couple of sessions on the FTSE. I'll just say this before we get to Jeff. L Monday, doing very little. Late on, big plunge. Yesterday, doing very little. Big rally uh, to take away the big plunge from the previous day. It does seem that people haven't got a, a great idea of a, a longer-term destination of travel. FTSE called lower today, as indeed are all the major indices. Uh, Jeffrey, uh, very interesting to hear uh, the AG talking yesterday. That was... Uh, I and then apparently the AG, William Barr, I, know, I don't think this is in your read, he then had a little trip to the, uh, to the White House afterwards as well. I wonder what was said. Yeah, we'll, we'll pick up on that. And it's a shame we've lost our chat about the markets because I think there are a lot of interesting points, as you say, about the direction of travel at the moment. I mean, the fact the dollar's falling and we're getting yields up 
is uh, somewhat uh, unexpected, but perhaps tells you a little bit about the direction of travel. But to your story about uh, the Attorney General. So William Barr says the Justice Department has not found proof of widespread voter fraud in the November election. Uh, President Trump's campaign hit out at Barr, though, saying Fed officials had not performed a thorough investigation. This as President Trump continues to claim without evidence that he unfairly lost the election. While the US Justice Department is investigating the wide House's involvement in a, quote, bribery for pardon scheme uh, in which an unnamed person offered a substantial political contribution in exchange for a presidential pardon. The allegations seen in documents unsealed in federal court came after President Trump pardoned his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn. He is expected to conduct more of these pardons before he leaves office, Steve. Yeah, thanks very much indeed. Yeah, the pardoning story is quite extraordinary. We'll get our market chat, Jeff. With you and I at the helm, they can't do anything about it. Uh, Coming up on the show, ARM CEO Simon Segers expresses his confidence internal issues can be overcome as NVIDIA looks to complete its $40 billion takeover of the chipmaker. We'll be back after a short break for a big chat on the markets. So Mark Benioff, yeah, you know, one of the most powerful men in corporate America. The company's just go. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. And great guns as well. It's funny, isn't it, when you think about it, that they can't make their own workplace messaging app for less than $27.7 billion. No? Oh, is it just me who thinks so? Okay, right. Salesforce has agreed to buy workplace messaging app Slack in a deal worth $27.7 billion. Uh, The move is the cloud giant's biggest ever acquisition and one of the largest in the wider software industry. The purchase intensifies the company's rivalry with Microsoft, despite Slack struggling to fully capitalize on the work-from-home trend. The CEO, uh, the aforementioned Mark Benioff, told CNBC the deal was, I keep saying this word, game-changer. Slack changes everything and makes Salesforce a whole new type of company, a company that is truly architected to work from anywhere. Now, we have already introduced Salesforce work from anywhere a couple months ago. You know that. But now with Slack, it really supercharges our approach and lets all of our customers re-architect their workforce to be truly from anywhere. Mark Benioff there. Well, he's making acquisitions. There are plenty of companies who are still trying to raise some cash to bolster balance sheets. Uh, JD Health has raised almost $3.5 billion in its Hong Kong IPO, the city's largest listing of the year. The healthcare business of the Chinese e-commerce giant JD.com price shares at the top end of its indicative range and will debut on December the 8th. Airbnb is targeting a $35 billion valuation in its upcoming IPO, $4 billion higher than its last private valuation. The home rental platform launched its roadshow overnight, setting its price range between $44 and $50 per share 
the company will debut later this month. So, terrific interview with the ARM CEO, uh, Simon Seegers. He's told us that he is confident that the chipmaker can overcome issues at its Chinese joint venture, which is currently threatening to derail NVIDIA's $40 billion takeover. The entity's top executive in China has moved to take control of the business despite efforts by ARM to remove him in June. Karen spoke to Seegers and asked him if there is a chance NVIDIA's takeover will be derailed as a result of the SPAT. I wouldn't call it a roadblock. It's something that we have to uh, work through. We knew that going into this deal. Uh, we've been in the process of changing the management in our China JV since uh, since about June time, uh, and we're working through it. It's complex given the nature of the JV, the shareholding, um, but you know we, we are working through that, and we're confident that we will get that resolved uh, long before um, our deal with NVIDIA actually closes. Is it fair to say that there are elements of a, a tech war that are, are around your deal because Chinese chip makers have been applying pressure on Chinese regulators to give full scrutiny, give it the works when it comes to looking over this deal process because of the concern of the control that uh, the technology of smartphones and data centers would be consolidated in a U.S. company? Uh, you know, are you concerned about that pressure from Beijing when you eventually do take it to Chinese regulators? I think regulators generally are, are going to you know, take a, a good look at this transaction because both ARM and NVIDIA are, are so significant in the world of technology. Um, as far as uh, our ability to continue to providing technology to companies all around the world, you know, that doesn't change with our um, acquisition by a US company. Export control is governed by where technology was created in the first place. That doesn't change with a change of ownership of ARM. Um, and so we are still going to be able to provide our technology around the world, including into China, uh, where we expect to continue to have great success and, and grow our business. What's the timeline around closure for this transaction? Well, when we uh, announced the deal, uh, we said we expected it to take about 18 months. Uh, we're about two months into that now, uh, and we still expect that it's going to take uh, the remaining 16 months to, to go through the process. Um, there are regulatory uh, approvals to go through in many jurisdictions around the world. That is a uh, drawn-out process. There's a lot of interaction that has to go on with the regulators to provide the information that they want. So it takes time, and, and we're expecting that it will take the 18 months that we said. Uh, Karen also asked Mr. Seegers if he found it... A curious way this is written. Let's, let's go. He also asked Mr. Seegers if it was uh, disappointing to work with SoftBank CEO Masayoshi-san. The philosophy behind acquiring ARM was by being out of the, the public markets, that we would be able to invest much more significantly in our technology roadmap and grow our market share um, outside of mobile um, in the way that we've grown inside of mobile uh, over the, the previous years. Uh, and we've absolutely done that. Um, since SoftBank acquired ARM in 2016, we've significantly increased our headcount. We've, we've added thousands of people into the company. We've been able to invest in building processes for the data center, processes for the automotive market, uh, to processes for the emerging uh, IoT uh, market to build um, machine learning accelerators. And we've been able to do all of that in parallel. There is just no way we could have done that as a public company um, with the uh, margin profile that we had. It took a, a radical shift. And we've been able to do that under SoftBank's ownership. So uh, from the point of view of our ownership by SoftBank has panned out exactly how we thought it would and how we hoped it would. 
and we're now in a really strong position as we're seeing that technology that we've been developing being uh, taken up by the market. That's you know one of the things that's driving those strong results that you mentioned earlier. In that case, what do you make of some of the criticism of Masayoshi-san recently? I'm really not going to comment too much on on all of that. But as I say, for, for us, uh, being part of SoftBank has been a very positive experience. Um, the, the formula worked well for us uh, as an established business. You know, we knew what we were doing. We had a very strong uh, existing market presence, very strong relationships with our licensees, uh, our partners. Uh, and we've been able to double down on that um, under SoftBank's ownership. Let's pivot to the future and talk about the upgrade cycle that we're seeing around 5G devices. What can you say about the future? Have we seen much of the innovation already or is there something more exciting around the corner? Well, through this year, um, overall smartphone shipments are down, uh, down not quite as much as some people were predicting earlier in the year, but, but they are down and that's kind of a, a side effect of, of what's been going on through the year, so quite natural. But um, what's been uh, really kind of pleasantly surprising within that is just how strong the uptake of 5G handsets have been uh, through this year. So we expect that to continue through next year. Um, so the, these handsets providing more capability, obviously with uh, more bandwidth, um, more uh, a shorter latency when you when you access some online service. So real benefits to come from that. But more than that, as 5G networks get rolled out, I think it does open the door for many other cellular connected uh, devices and services that take uh, true advantage of what all that 5G has to offer. So there's been a lot of focus on the consumer side of 5G, but I think the real prize we'll see roll out over the next few years as more and more uh, devices connect to cellular networks um, that just weren't connected before. I'll just make a very quick comment on this one, Steve. Um, I think you've got to feel something for Simon Seegers at this point, who finds himself in the position where he's having to manage a business that is enmeshed in a very complicated business dispute at the moment. Um, it all revolves, of course, around the joint venture partner in China and this individual, Alan Wu, who ran Arm China, and whether or not he is leaving the business and whether or not the joint venture is prepared to um, part with its stake to NVIDIA. And of course, SoftBank is keen to raise cash. At the moment, it hasn't become as political as it potentially might. I don't think Beijing has weighed in at this point at all. But of course, um, ARM creates uh, chips that go into very sensitive technology in the Western world. And increasingly, the focus is on the security of that technology. And I know the British government has some views on that. Uh, but of course, the uh, the Chinese government will be unhappy about what it sees as uh, losing access to this technology should this deal ultimately go through. And of course, there is still the, 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 the issue of what happens to Alan Wu, who doesn't seem to be willing at this point to go gracefully and has elicited the support of the Shenzhen government uh, to weigh in on his behalf here. So it is complicated. And I thought uh, Simon Seeger was trying to put the best face on it he could. But obviously, it's a headache for him as he just tries to run the business. Excellent stuff, Jeff. Yeah, it just shows you, doesn't it? Changing administration potentially. Well, we think so. In fact, there will be a change administration, but same thorny issues, Trans-Pacific as well. Excellent. And we'll come back to that big market chat uh, the producers told me that I can do what I like in the next half an hour. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.